I guess I want to start, if I could, with you, Rachel. I heard you say in an interview that you're living in a different universe. Can you just give us a sense of where your life is right now and how much you know about your son, Hirsch? Well, I think that um, all we know is probably as much as anyone who's read about all of our stories knows, which is um, for us, Hirsch was at the music festival um, with one of his best friends named Honor, and ultimately they ended up fleeing when this massacre started to happen, and they got to a bomb shelter, a roadside bomb shelter, with, um, there was a total of 29 of these kids who had run for their lives and were mushed in this uh, bomb shelter. And Hamas came to the doorway and started throwing in hand grenades. Um, Honor was by the doorway, and all the witnesses we spoke to said he had managed to keep picking them up and throwing them out. He did that with eight of them, but three of them did get in and detonate. And then they came in with an RPG and with machine guns and were just firing at these, you know, barefoot, crunchy, granola, hippie kids who were out for camping. Um, most of them died right away. And some of them were trapped under the dead bodies. And so from those witnesses, we heard that Hamas came in and there were three young men sitting against a wall who were all hurt, but obviously still alive. And they ordered them to stand up and Hirsch was one of them and all of them told us that his left arm from the elbow down had been blown off. Um, that in the couple minutes where they allowed the dust to settle, he had fashioned some sort of tourniquet or bandage and he walked out with these other two young men and they were put on a pickup truck and driven off toward Gaza and his last um, phone signal was at 10.25 in the morning on Saturday, October 7th. Um, and that was all we knew until um, Anderson Cooper came into our lives who I don't wanna be one of those people but I feel like we're now friends. <laughs> But um, he's a real mensch, and he interviewed us a couple of times, and he, at the end of one interview, said, I'm going to call you guys afterwards. And he called and said, have you seen any videos of your son? And we said, no. Um, he said, I have a video of Hirsch. And he sent us this video that apparently one of the terrorists was wearing sort of a head camera that must have fallen off in the scuffle. And um, a soldier videoed on his phone what he found on this camera. And Anderson was making a, a um, documentary about the music festival and went down to see these bomb shelters that so many of the kids were killed in. And the soldier was outside and said, look, this is so crazy. And on the video that Anderson sent us, you can hear Anderson Cooper saying, Jesus Christ, he has no arm. And he realized 
he said, because he had read a piece that I had written, an op-ed piece in the New York Times, and then interviewed us and put two and two together. And so the only new news that we had was it was corroborated from the um, eyewitnesses that we actually saw the truck, we saw the terrorists, and we saw Hirsch, and we saw the stump of his left arm. So that was new. And thank you. And Jonathan, just, I saw also that as awful as it was, it was also somewhat comforting to see, I'll let you put it in your words, that he, that he could move on his own steam. Can you explain? Sure. So part of this alternative universe that we're living in is everything is turned upside down. So when he was first missing, uh, we didn't know where he was, we didn't know anything, and then I don't even remember what day it was, I think it was day five or six that we got the call that he's being officially listed as kidnapped. And in this crazy upside down world, to get notified that your child has been kidnapped by Hamas and taken into Gaza was caused to be happy. So let's start with that. And then when we saw the video that no parent should ever see of their child, in the video, and we now know that for an hour and a half before the video, he was inside this bomb shelter subject to the carnage that Rachel described. In the video, <coughs> he walks with some degree of composure on his own two feet with his one arm, and he pulls himself into a truck. And um, so I, in this world where I try to look for optimism and strength anywhere I could find it, find some in the video, which is, he looked composed and in shock. But from that, I took some strength, and I continue to say, I hope that it's carrying him forward. Um, that's what it was. Moshe, can you talk about your sister and brother-in-law and your contact with them when you first heard that this was happening? Yeah. Um just like everyone else who is involved in this, and probably the entire people of Israel, will feel like we're in an unusual movie, um, horror movie. Uh, I first heard of it um, when I was, I was here in New York. It was a Friday night. Um, I was just about to enter. I just entered a, a nightclub in, in Brooklyn, and I, I started reading that it was a rocket uh, rockets launched towards the road and other uh, kibbutzim in Otef Aza, um, the towns and, and villages around the Gaza Strip. And we normalized, I grew up in Sterod, lived there most of my life, and we normalized rockets being launched at us. So I just um, said to myself, oh, it's just another rocket attacks. What's going to happen? Uh, it's very normal. If you say it to any other person who did not grow up in that reality. It's very abnormal. Um, but soon after, I realized that things are very different. I got texts from friends, from my family, on the WhatsApp groups, read the news. I was in shock. Eventually, I was able to, to, to leave the club and um, um, head back. I was with my family on WhatsApp all night and with my friends all night. 
And at one point, I have two sisters. Um, one in Oran, lives in Oranair, the other one in Nachaloz. My parents live in Sterot. At one point, we lost contact with my sister in uh, Nachaloz. That's a kibbutz. Uh, it's a kibbutz. It's about 2.5 miles from the Gaza Strip. And um, at that moment, we began eight hours of, of the worst kind of thoughts we could have. After eight hours, my mother received, and mind you, the entire family is still under siege, can't leave their house in the safe, in the safe room, received a Facebook message saying that my sister and two baby nieces, two-year-old and six-months-old, are alive and were rescued, but that my brother-in-law, Omri, was uh, taken hostage, and he's now most probably in the Gaza Strip. And um, after, after that, um, we began processing that our life has, uh, are not going to be the same anymore. Your nieces are, can you say their, their ages again? Yes, my niece, Ronnie, is two years old. My other niece, Alma, is six months old. They were all held captives for hours in Achalos, first in their house, then they were grouped with other families in another house. They all witnessed the horror, the abuse, the torture, the mockery. Ronnie was woken up with five Hamas terrorists pointing guns at her face. And she screams every night since then to her father. Because her father used to put her to sleep. She was very close to him. Um, they had a body lying next to them of a teenage girl of the other family with whom they were grouped for hours. And um, yeah, they're going to live with these sites and I'm, and I'm sure Ronnie rem will remember it. It's a trauma that will be with her for the rest of her life. And my sister, of course, will remember this. But we have to, we, we're trying to stay strong so that we'll have the hope that Omri will return to us. I just want to mention, it's, it's Lishe or Lishe? Uh, Lishai. Lishai, your sister. Which means my gift in Hebrew. Ruby, I want to just have the audience here know about Itai. He was serving on the Gaza border in the IDF. You've described him as not a very aggressive kid. Um, New York tough. New, New York, York tough. tough. Um, can you just give us a bit of just the sense of how you learned that he was missing? Yeah, so he was at a base uh, near Nachal Oz, where Moshe's family is. Uh, so uh, it's important to note, uh, so we're not going too much into politics, but uh, he was protecting a sovereign part of Israel that is not in some sort of international dispute. They were not attackers, like, you know, they were not looking for trouble. Uh, and they were, basically, it was a Saturday, you know, it was a holiday, there, there wasn't that much happening, and they were attacked. And within that attack, uh, the last that we heard from him was 6 a.m., where he said that the base is under attack. They became mobilized, uh, him and his team. And the last that we know that he was active in the field was 9 a.m. Uh, at the beginning, he was defined missing in action, which means nobody since saw him, like physically could say, I see him in front of me. 
Uh, it was not in one of the hospitals and not in one of the morgues uh, in the deceased uh, lists. And as Jonathan described about five days ago, we got the uh, message from the, not the message, the IDF came into our house. That knock on the door, I don't know how to describe it, like, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning, nobody wants to get that knock on the door. But when they did come in and knock, they notified officially that he's defined as hostage, Gaza. So like Jonathan said, so that's the good scenario for us at the moment. Rachel and Jonathan, again, I, I am ambivalent to ask you this, but I think it's, I hope you can feel that everyone in this room and millions beyond us are holding you and thinking about you and your families, all of your families every day. And if there's something you would like us to all know about our networks, the people who, are, who might listen to us if we send them something, just, I think Ruby's made it clear that the first thing is not to forget because this could be a long road. But how, maybe Jonathan, you start with just what you want the people listening to do or think about. So I wish I had a good answer for that because we have been hearing from people from all over the world, literally, and friends that we haven't seen in 40 years, people we don't know, all asking what they could do. And, and I would love to have more of an answer to that. The only two things I have so far are, have both been said. Number one is, this is a big story right now, even though we're on day 18. It might drag on to day 20 and 25 and 30, and there's gonna be other news stories. We need people to keep this front and center. It has to stay in the news. It has to have people talking about it, sharing it on social media, etc. And the second thing is, it helps to call your elected officials every single day. We're on day 18 right now, and I won't ask in this room, although I did ask it in a meeting earlier, I doubt there are people in this room who have made five phone calls. Certainly I doubt there's anybody who's made 10 phone calls, and I'm sure there's nobody who's made 18 phone calls every single day. That is what we need. We have been told repeatedly by elected officials that the way to stay in their minds is have people reaching out to them, constituents calling and writing nonstop. And that is what I would ask people in this room to do. I just want to add to that because um, we were talking about it before at UJA that it, it can also not be this complicated, annoying thing that you have to do. It really can be one minute every morning, like while you're boiling the water for your coffee ritual, that you just dial that number and you say, it's day 19 and Hirsch and Itai still aren't home. It's, and uh, I forgot your brother-in-law's name. But do you know what I'm saying? And, that, and that's it. Have a nice day. I hope when I call tomorrow I have better news. And the next day, right? And so it's one minute, but it's one minute from all of you. And they will know that every morning they're getting a call. And so it doesn't go away. And I think it's not that horrible of an ask of people to do. And you can feel good about, okay, I made my call. And now, you know, I did something little. It's a drop in the bucket. Until we figure out what's the next move. You know, what's the next ask. But for now, it's 
you know, it's that little mosquito that when you're trying to sleep, you're like, shoot, that's so annoying. We want you to be that mosquito that that senator or your representative or your mayor, or although your mayor's great and your governor's great, so I think they're kind of on the case, but... Just no, I think it's compelling because sometimes we think it's a black hole and it does, it's kind of pro forma. And you're saying that the actual, in our numbers and multitudes, it will make a difference. I think you're absolutely and, right. Go if ahead, I could just add to that. Yeah. So we've been in this alternative universe where we've been finding ourselves having conversations about what we could do back channeling to certain countries, like Qatar comes up repeatedly. And I was in meetings today that I never thought I would be in with ambassadors from countries I never thought I would sit with. Um, but all arrows point to, even if it's going to be those players having influence, it's going to come from the United States government. That is who's going to influence how these things play out. And so it just exacerbates the importance of stay on United States elected officials. Thank you. Achenu kol beit Yisrael. Achenu kol beit Yisrael. Hanetunim betzara, betzara uvashivya. Haomdim ben bayam uven bayabasha. forward and act 
and continue to remember we will never forget. Erev Tov, thank you for being here tonight.